Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. I want to begin by just highlighting a few words that we hear in the scriptures today. Poor, mourning, meek, hungering, thirsting, merciful, peacemakers, weak, foolish, lowly, humble, remnant. Not very impressive words. (laughs) And these are all the words that the scriptures gives us to give us God's view on the ones that he is utterly dedicated to. So the one that God, the ones that God has promised his absolute faithfulness to, his tender love, who he wants to draw near to, have all those characteristics to them. And the strange thing is, for you and I, we have like kind of an ambivalent experience of most of these things. We're like, oh yeah, we, we've all been shamed enough to know humility is supposed to be something really good, so we all think, oh yeah, everyone should be humble. But then we really don't know what humility is. Is it when we feign attention, like, oh, don't look at me, I'm just working hard, but please, everyone, look at me. Or what's real humility? Or is lowly meaning we can't be great at something? All of a sudden, many of you who are so talented in your fields and occupations and have worked hard to build up amazing businesses or careers, you shouldn't have. You should have just kind of been mediocre because you're meant to be lowly. I don't think any of us actually thinks through these things that much, but the thought is is that it's kind of intuitive that we all of a sudden get a little confused. So I want to do this Sunday is kind of slow down a little bit and go a little bit deeper in the first reading, which is from the prophet Zephaniah, who's a minor prophet, and it's not like if he just tried harder, he'd be a major prophet. It just means his book's shorter than the other ones. That's all. Okay, so for all of eternity, he's known as minor. But... He says, obviously God is speaking through him, and he says, I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly who take refuge in the Lord. And this is the group that God promises that he will pour his power into, that he will absolutely guide and take care of. So what does it mean to be humble and lowly then? What's this all look like? Because it seems like, boy, if God's on that side, that's the team we're going to want to be on. If we know that's going to be the winning side, we want to be over there. So let me tell a little story from this week. I was at a friend's house, and they have six kids, and all the kids were in the other room watching a movie. There's five girls and one boy. And uh, the reason I say that is because it was some movie with a princess in it because I could hear them singing in the background. I was talking to the parents, and all of a sudden, the littlest kid who's three years old, she comes running in, and kind of tears in her eyes, comes running in, and jumps on the couch with mom and dad, and snuggles up close. And uh, the parents knew what was happening. I thought maybe a kid picked on them or something, but turns out the movie was a scary scene for the three-year-old. The scene in the movie had bad guys in it, and there was a lot of them, and they were winning, and it was really sad and scary, and she just needed to get away. And so she took refuge in mom and dad's love. 
See, the humble and lowly who take refuge in the Lord are those who realize they don't have to be tough. The humble and lowly are those who get overwhelmed by life, where life is hard and suffering makes no sense, where things are challenging and confusing, and they don't grit their teeth and bear it because they're really, really strong. The humble and lowly are freed from having to be strong and tough and have all the answers and have it all together, not because they're fine simply in being small and little and powerless. It's because they know that someone is there who loves them. They know they can run into the arms of comfort. They know they can go somewhere where their littleness, where their overwhelmedness, where their poverty, where their needs are received graciously. And that someone will be there to wrap their arms around them and care for them. Namely, the Father. That this is what God the Father is trying to press upon everybody he's baptized and put into the kingdom and everyone he's trying to call into the kingdom. The thing is, when you're in the kingdom, you get to know the king. When you're in the kingdom, you get to have the king dedicated to you. In fact, when you're baptized, you now become a prince or princess, a son and daughter of the king. And so you have affection. You have divine affection for your littleness, for the places where you feel scared and overwhelmed, for the places where you're full of need and hopes and dreams. This little kid knew exactly where to go with her fear because she knew she was loved and she didn't have to have it all together. Our Gospels from Matthew chapter 5, in a few more chapters, Matthew 18, we're going to hear Jesus say, unless you turn and become like little children, you can't enter the kingdom. Like you and I can't even get into the kingdom unless we turn and become like children. Why? Because the kingdom is where the Father's love gives us everything. And if we try to still think we can come up with things on our own, or we're strong enough, or smart enough, or tough us, or we think we need to be, then we automatically can't be in the kingdom. The kingdom is for those who say, I don't have what it takes. The kingdom is for those who say, I need a lot of love. I need a lot of care. I need a lot of forgiveness. I need a lot of encouragement. I need a lot of grace. Good. Guess what? You get to come into the kingdom. This is why it's so maddening that people with addictions oftentimes quicken to God and the church than those who don't have them. But let me put that in a biblical term. This is why it was annoying for the Pharisees that sinners and tax collectors were experiencing the powers and miracles of Jesus and the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious elite, were not. They had walled off their needs. They have hidden their heart behind all sorts of quote-unquote right practices but what they forgot is that actually everyone in the world is humble. It's just whether or not we want to identify with it and live out of it, or we wall it off and exile it through being aggressive and tough and smart and hardworking and impressive and fancy. Here's another example from my own life. As many of you know, the first week of January, Father Dave retired, and uh, we're going to have a retirement party for him uh, sometime in the spring when it's a little bit... He's more comfortable coming out with the ice and everything. But he retired, and his room hadn't really been addressed or touched his priest room over there in the rectory in about 20 years. So I thought, well, 
it's time to put a little fresh paint on the wall. We're going to have some guests over the next few weeks, so put some new paint on the wall, and a couple of friends were over, and I showed them the, the room. I said, yeah, we just painted this room, and their first comment, uh, one of their first comments was, seems like a lot of brown. I had rage. <laughs> Murderous thoughts towards my friends. Because <laughs> first off, it was gray, but second is that that's not what you say. You don't say a problem when someone shows you their home right away, okay? You either find something nice to say or you be quiet. But anyways, they're friends, so I guess there's a level of freedom and you can just do whatever you want in a friendship. Anyways, but I was so angry, right? And I was telling, I was already praying about this later in the day. I was telling the Lord, Lord, I hate my friends. No, I didn't say it, but I said, Lord, I don't like them. Why would they do that? Why can't they understand? Are they so blind? What? I mean, how, I go to their home and I'm never like, oh, your house is unkept. I never say it, right? So I'm like, what the heck's going on? And so I thought, oh, I was being really honest with God. But I was still like, just like hardened. All right, at this point, I am very, uh, I'm just like the rest of the world. You get hurt, now I want to hurt them. But then I realize I can't hurt them, so you just get stuck. So I'm praying. I'm being as honest as I can with God. And finally, I share this with a, a priest friend of mine, and he just simply goes, it sounded like you really wanted them to like it. And it was so disarming and wildly uncomfortable for me because I felt so naked. Because the lowliness of my heart, he could see and hear with no pressure, no problem. That behind this hey, come on, check out the priest street we just painted. Behind that was, I hope you like it. See, that's the childlike heart in all of us. Mine got walled off because of pain, and so does everybody else's. If I had stayed in that place, or if I had more habitually known that that humble, lowly place in me is actually where God loves the most, and so I was living out of that, I would have been aware from step one when I brought my friends to see the painted room that what I was really seeking was I was hoping they would like it. But because I wasn't living out of my heart, out of the place that is humble and lowly, I was kind of naively entering a relationship, and then I got hurt, and then I got angry, and I was trying my hardest to be honest with God, but I needed someone else to speak into this place. When you've been lowly, when you've been humble, when you've been weak, when you've been foolish, when you've been poor, when you've been childlike, you've probably been hurt. And when we get hurt, we say things like, I will never again trust. I will never again need something from that family member or friend. I will never again be open. And two things happened. One, you should have never been hurt. But two, maybe unlike my friend's little kid, we didn't run to our father. Instead, we took our needs to other people who are just as small as we are. And so he said, why didn't you love me better? Why weren't you better? And they're like, because I'm just as little as you are. And we're all just as overwhelmed and scared in this world as everyone else. And so when Jesus came into the world, he became the lowly, the foolish, the weak, the humble, the poor, the childlike. He embodied that if you take this and keep it open to the Father, power will flow out of you. If you take your needs and fears and hopes and you bring them to the Father, 
peace, and freedom will be your lot in life. Because you will be living in the kingdom already. And like many of the saints witness to, is that through the Holy Spirit, we get to taste heaven on earth already. And you will be fathered. And as it says here in the first reading, you will be sheltered. You will have refuge. You will be safe. Because the Father will not have you waste the gem of your heart on people who don't know how to love you yet. Or you being naively running around sharing it with everyone, keep getting hurt. Instead, he will say, that's our place. That's our father-daughter time. That's our father-son time. And from there, you'll have an inner life that pours forth with joy and goodness. And everyone will say to you, what is different about you? And you'll be able to say like the apostles, come and see.